Greetings, Grandad here, and here to bring you a few things before we kickstart the show today. Firstly, a listener's message to say that the jokes and impressions in this show are simply for the purpose of entertainment and not meant to cause any offence. It would be great if you could take a moment to rate us on Apple Podcast and drop us a review if you are enjoying the show. Find us on our Facebook page, Better Show, and there you will find more spooky tales, both fiction and non-fiction. And lastly, don your tinfoil hats, crack your heads back as far as they will go, and look to the stars, because tonight is going to be a better show. Imagine that it is night time. You are all alone on an overlook that spans hundreds of miles. There you can not only see the land, but also gain a full appreciation of the universe above you. The stars, they shine bright tonight, almost too bright. You are alone, and yet you can never be alone ever again. The stars, the stars, they seem to be fading, and your vision with them, and with that, you remember exactly where you are. There was something I came across that was odd. So I've got a friend at college, and he told me about something really bizarre. So... He and I sit next to each other in class and we pretty much spend the whole day together. And he said now that when he feels really relaxed and zones out, he can hear music. Like he can hear it really, really vividly. And he noticed it the first time when he was kind of jamming along to something and he went to go and take his earphones out and there was no, there were no earphones in his, in his ears. Um... And he's had it happen on several occasions. It doesn't happen when he's about to go to bed. He has to be kind of really chilled out and zoned out. What do you think that is? Well, uh, based on that, I guess we just don't do intros anymore. No, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's quite a common thing. I often occasionally, when I'm standing around at work, I sometimes think I've heard my phone ringing. Okay. I I think it's just a false habit. Your mind wanders. It's just sort of... That whole song... Well, he's clearly just a bit more of a whack job than a standard Joe. Ah, <laughs> uh, standard Joe. <laughs> so it's Grandad. And Doug. <clears throat> and welcome back to Better Show. We're going to be doing, I didn't even realise this was going to be kind of a serious thing, but it is. Uh, part two of our oceanic... Um, depression. Depression. Yes, so I'm going to start off with an audio segment. All we have to do is listen. And it's a piece that I put together for my college pitch in the kind of collaboration of all the documentaries that I've taken my research from in the past, um, fair warning, there is a good 40 seconds of just a whale crying. Grab the Kleenex, boys. It's going to get rough. Oh, so not for the masturbation, for the... That's what I meant. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> it's so bizarre, because if you didn't know what's going on over here, you would think this is a town that loves dolphins and whales. On our left here is the infamous Taiji Whale Museum. And I really, really hate this place. The mayor of this town actually gave me the key to the city. I was welcome then. 
Today they'd kill me. They couldn't. And I'm not exaggerating. If these fishermen could catch me and kill me, they would. They had aircraft, they had spotters, they had speed boats, they had bombs they were throwing in the water, and then they had fishing boats with seine nets that they would stretch across so none could leave, and then they could just pick out the young ones. I lost it. I mean, I just started crying. I didn't stop working, but I, you know, just couldn't handle it. And just like kidnapping a little kid away from her mother. When the whole hunt was over, there were three dead whales in the net. And uh, so they had Peter and Brian and I cut the whales open, fill them with rocks, put anchors on the tail, and sink them. But this is the worst thing that I've ever done. The supervisors um, basically was kind of mocking me, like, oh, you're saying poor Kalina? You know, what's she gonna do without her mommy? And, you know, and that, of course, just shut me up. Um, after Kalina was removed from the scene um, and put on the truck and taken to the airport and Katina, her mom, was left in the pool, she stayed in the corner of the pool, um, like, literally just shaking and screaming, screeching, crying. Like, uh, I'd never seen her do anything like that. Um, and the other females in the pool, maybe once or twice during the night, they'd come out and check on her and she'd screech and cry and they would just run back. Kasaka continued to make vocals that had never been heard before. They brought in the senior research scientists to analyze the vocals. They were long range vocals. She was trying something that no one had even heard before looking for Takara. That's heartbreaking. How can anyone look at that and think that that is morally acceptable? It's not. Water Park doesn't have a good reputation. People that work in the business know the reputation of places, and Water Park does not have a good reputation. There's something wrong, you know, with telling them that there's there's something wrong and that's uh when you have a relationship with the animal and you you understand that he's killing not to be a savage he's not killing because he's just crazy he's not killing because he doesn't know what he's doing he's killing because he's frustrated and he's got aggravations and and he doesn't know how to he has no outlet for it. The safest inference would be these are animals that have highly elaborated emotional lives. It's becoming clear that dolphins and whales have a sense of self, a sense of social bonding that they take into another level, much stronger, much more complex than in other mammals, including humans. We look at mass strandings, the fact that they stand by each other Everything about them is social. Everything. It's time to stop the shows. It's time to stop forcing these animals to perform in basically a circus environment. And they should release the animals that are young enough and healthy enough to be released. And the animals like Tilikum, who are old and sick and have put in 25 years in the industry, should be released to an open ocean pen so they can live out their lives and just experience the natural rhythms of the ocean. This is a multi-billion dollar corporation that makes its money through the exploitation of orcas. They're not suitable to have in captivity. The whales are really bored 
you deprive them of all this environmental stimulation. I think that in 50 years, we'll look back and go, my God, what a barbaric time. then put these long poles in the water which have a flange on the bottom and they just bang on these poles with hammers and they create a wall of sound which frightens the dolphins they're looking for bottomless dolphin primarily they're looking for flippers swimming with orcas is inherently dangerous and in that you can't completely predict the outcome when you enter the water or enter their environment if you were in a bathtub for 25 years, don't you think you'd get a little irritated, aggravated, maybe a little psychotic? SeaWorld's whale performances may never be the same. But right now, the theme park is arguing in court to keep whale trainers in the water, something OSHA says is extremely dangerous. These are wild animals, and they are unpredictable because we don't speak whale. We don't speak whale, we don't speak tiger, we don't speak monkey. We're pulling the fish out of the ocean at such a rate and eroding and diminishing our marine ecosystems so bad that the whole thing could collapse. If we were to see pilots whales, we would um, try to make sure that they don't come anywhere close uh, Hunting Bay. If we cannot stop willingly killing pilots whales, I don't see how we have any chance to stop the accidental slaughter that's being provoked by all the human actions. The worst is actually for the last whale to die because that whale has seen all the family die and they are drowning in each other's blood. You have no business in our islands. Well, that's your opinion. Yeah. You're entitled to it. But we have the right to you're be not here. coming into this country. Okay, you, you, you are out. not activists. You are terrorists. It is powerful stuff. So today we're going to be covering the second part of my oceanic message and we're going to be covering an event known as the Grind, which most of my information comes from the 2015 documentary appropriately named the Grind. So first of all, I want to state that all my notes, I was very careful to write them out as unbiased as possible. It's an account. It's not saying that the people doing this are terrible. It's not saying yeah, well, that... That was quite a good thing about the documentary. Yeah, that's so. The first part of my notes say, unlike the cove and blackfish, where they're saying the way that you're treating these orcas is terrible, and the way that these dolphins are being slaughtered under the cover of the protection of this, I guess, little setup, is appalling. <clears throat> unlike that, the documentary is almost split into a fifty-fifty look, where you've got the perspective of the activists, and then you've got the perspective of the standard citizens. Yeah. But when I say 50-50, I personally felt, and I don't know about you, because we both checked out the documentary, I personally felt the documentary actually interestingly lent, let, oh, sorry, kind of led towards the perspective of the residents. 
I felt in moments I felt like it was swaying towards the activist, but I think towards the end, especially towards the end, because there was that part where the gentleman—I can't remember the name of him—but he was the same one he was talking about when he first killed a whale, and he's sitting on top of the highlands, looking down onto the town. Yeah. He says, "Everything I need is before me." I can see where I fish. I can see where I live. I can see where I'll die. Yeah. So um, the way that it's been described in the documentary is as simple as being a slaughterhouse that instead of taking part inside with blood flowing into drains, uh, here it takes place outside and blood flows into the sea. So taking place on the Faroe Islands, that is a territory of Denmark, and it was only a territory of Denmark since the 14th of January in 1814, and containing a population last counted in 2017 of 49,290, it comprises of 18 rocky volcanic islands between uh, Norway and Iceland in the North Atlantic Oceans. Who had actually adhere to their own form of governance on experts. They're separate from Denmark's government in certain ways and aren't part of the EU. Yes, that's right. So um, later on in my notes, I mentioned <coughs> that as a result of being separate from the EU, they don't fall under the jurisdiction of EU whaling laws. Um, but they do still have some uh, access to... Um, the government and the uh, military yeah. which they do put into full effect later on in the documentary um, so considered a place of rich history dating back centuries um, barren, ag- ag- sorry, barren agriculture um, the people of these islands heavily rely on the seas so one of the oldest traditions of the Faroe Islands is the Grind a slaughter of pilot whales that takes place sometime during the summer but has no specific date, mainly because it is difficult to predict when the whales will be close enough to the island in order to initiate a grind. The word grind would appear to have three three meanings. The act of the hunt, uh, the whale meat, or the whales themselves. The tradition has continued for nearly 1,000 years, but recently has uh, had challenged or has been challenged by animal activists who consider the grind as inhumane. Many um, ferrets across the island are said to be proud defenders of the grind and don't consider it an extermination effort or for pleasure, it is purely for food. So Hong, I'm going to butcher this name, but Hongni um, <laughs> recalls that he was 14 years old when he first killed a pilot whale and he was, caught, uh, he was taught by an old baker who beckoned him over and said that he would show the 14-year-old uh, how to cut the throat of a whale and he, consisted, he, he actually considered himself to be quite good at this particular act. He feels sad about the values um, he feels are being imposed on him um, and people around him as a result of what he calls urbanization that's taking place that has disrupted the tradition of the ability to hunt that has been passed down through generations he considers he considers it a good and honest way um of life in order to go out and hunt these pilot whales instead of going to the shop and purchasing meat that's been harvested hundreds of miles away so um so you've got some of the perspective of the of the indigenous of these islands. Now, on the other side of the spectrum, you've got the activists, and they are under the leadership of the Sea Shepherds. So the Sea Shepherds is a marine conservation society that um, have presence all over the world. And they were founded in June uh, 1977 in Vancouver, Canada, but they're actually based in the Friday Harbour in the United States. And they're labelled a non-profit conservation organisation that believes the best method is direct action. They have a whole fleet to their name, consisting of 12 ships, last count, and several small boats as well. To name a few of their boats, we've got Bob Barker, Ocean Warrior, um, Bridget 
Bardard, Sam Simon, uh, Martin Sheen, Farley Moat, and John Paul um, De Jure, which I think De Jure is whaling in. Some language. In some language. I don't know. I only know that from Free Willy, which is sad, <laughs> but that's where I'm getting my information from. But there you go. So, in regards to the Grin, Sea Shepherd believed that killing of these whales and the way that it's done is barbaric, giving the evidence that these are highly sensitive and sentient creatures that are being slaughtered. During the summer of 2014, hundreds of Sea Shepherd volunteers descended upon the Faroe Islands. Grinstop was the operation name that they gave it, and the aim was to completely put an end to the tradition that they saw as being completely unacceptable. Attempting to drive the pods of pilot whales back into the open sea, Sea Shepherd are very aware that the Grind is not the main threat to the pilot whales, as it is to any aquatic life, that the ocean pollution and climate change cause far more of them to die than the Grind ever could cause. However, those are other man-made issues that are far more difficult to control and change, whereas the Grind could be stopped. Pilot whales, much like other whales and aquatic mammals, are understood to have a very strong social bond and because of that they do not abandon others and as a result when the grin takes place, um, the ones that are caught first of all, they're not abandoned by their other members of the pod and as a result they all die. As a result of Sea Shepherd's present, uh, presence on the islands, tensions start to rise to the point where Sea Shepherd members were being compared and outright called terrorists, which is that little bit that you heard at the end of the audio. It is revealed um, in the documentary that the annual figures for whale slaughter in the Grind is something like 800, and the justification for that, or at least for the justification from the um, population, is that, um, at least in 2005, the whale population was something like 800,000. The Faroes, Faroese, I think is how they. Yeah, Faroese. Faroese, aim to keep the ah, bloody hell, aim to keep the sustainability of the grind and don't harvest any uh, pod. Don't don't just harvest all the pods that come their way. Some of them had trackers attached to them that they can track for scientific reasons. Now I did put in brackets here that the whale. The people who do the killing have the ability to put trackers on these whales. It's unspecified in the documentary, and because obviously I'm coming from an activist point of view, I can't help but think, do you think that they use those trackers to aid in setting well, up a grind? Obviously they probably use it to track the um, dinosaur of the pods and see when they're going to be in, when they're not going to be in. So probably would use it for that, but I think they probably do also use it for general scientific purposes mm. and I think they did come across saying they would never go to the extent to overfish to actually harm the overall because I mean if they've been doing it for how many years and it's still every year they get whales coming in mm. they can't really be doing any long term damage to the overall species mm. my problem with things like the well I've got quite a few problems with, with the grin but what, with what you said there um, species have always been able to adapt to man's presence for the most part if they're given the chance so um, the pilot whales if they were aware of what was going on as a, a group of pods then they would probably avoid the Faroe Islands but the problem is that any pods that go well, there and involved in the, the grin they take the whole lot and there are no survivors there is no family member that can then return to a larger group and say this is what's going on. Stay yeah. away from, stay away from the Faroe Islands. So even though the Faroe Islands, like I said earlier, are part of the, Dan- the Danish territories, they are not part of the European Union. Um, I did actually look into because I thought shit, we've just come out of the EU, 
does this mean I, it was probably me just freaking out a bit but does that mean that is a possibility that fishermen in the UK could undertake whaling active activities because even looking at the map that they show in the documentary the pilot whales do actually go past the Faroe Islands although it's quite far out they are on the I guess if you're looking at a map left hand side of the UK mm. so they do go still still in our waters they're still in our waters so that was my fear but it turns out that we actually have a secondary whaling um law you'll, you'll find a lot of the EU laws will keep us our own laws because we're big collaboration is law wise there won't be much change okay um so the grins they claim has to happen because they are quoted as saying we have to eat something so i have a problem with this but we'll raise it a bit later with some of the issues with the meat itself um so there is a belief that during this documentary um and this belief is shared by a c shepherd supporter and you said the name of her while we were watching something else just now the celebrity guest. Oh, Pamela um, so she says that uh, the impact of the grin taking place and the impact that it's having on the lives of children, she points out that um, if you start hurting animals, then you may start hurting people and talking about the way that it can translate into real acts of violence. Uh, I think that's a load of... I, I'm probably not with it either, yeah. And I, she doesn't actually really know anything. She was just brought on and given a script. Like the way she answers questions in that commentary, she sort of didn't really know what to say. Mm, I think something that... Because I have a few problems with activist movements, and I think we'll go into that towards the end of the show. But one thing that I found really bizarre that she said was um, that the Sea Shepherd um, leader at the time, I can't remember his name, but we're, we're hopefully going to do a whole show on Sea Shepherd at some point as a, as a movement. And he was actually quoted as saying that the um, Faroese um, were like the Nazis. Yeah, she was asked about And that. she said that the, her cover-up for that was, oh, he's just so poetic. in yeah. his. That's not poetic. That is such a damning... Because the, the Nazis, they caused near genocide for the purpose of um, nothing but discrimination. Mm. This is not like that. They are not targeting pilot whales because they hate them. No, this is a way of life for them. Yeah. So uh, so the Faroese um, fiercely defend their rights to live off the natural resources of their island. And this is a point that I've written in. However, can pilot whales really be called natural resources of the island as they travel past the island and out into the open ocean? There is another problem with harvesting pilot whales. So here we go. For every gram of pilot meat, there will be two micrograms of methylene mercury. Tests have shown that people who consume the meat with mercury inside um, have had negative effects to their lives, such as negative impacts on memory, reaction time and language. So... But smoking has negative effects on your breathing, drinking has negative effects on your liver and long-term memory and overall health, but people... Yeah, um, but the difference is that the uh, smoking and alcohol, they can all be linked to cravings mm. and social gatherings, which are far more widely embraced around the world than eating pilot whale meat is. So it's something that can... Because there was one person in the documentary that said that the land is barren, that we have a very small ag agricultural presence. And then there was someone else who said, the one that came across very German, um, but he was saying, um, and quite vocal in his in his points, but he yeah. was saying that we do actually have quite a large animal presence. We meant like, they just have like sheep. Yeah. But my point is that if 
within their rules they they actually have a cap on the amount of whale meat that you can consume because of the mercury mm. in it and they also say that pregnant women shouldn't consume it at all my point mm. is if a pregnant woman can go through nine months or so of pregnancy with cravings and different dietary needs and not consume it why can't more people do it well you could say about anything it's just another frequent do you eat chicken every single day of your life yeah you would well, sorry, I was just saying, I thought you were saying it as an example. No, I wouldn't, no. It's just another, it's like you've got, you've got two resources there, you're going to use the two resources because in their mind it's doing no wrong. Mm. And why should they stop something that is one of their income? Yeah. It's like I could grow carrots and I could grow parsnips, but I'm just going to go carrot. Because. Mm. But I don't know if I'll accept the comparison of a carrot to a whale. <laughs> So I do have the layout of how the Grind actually plays out. So the Grind, um, uh, despite the Sea Shepherd's efforts, cannot be stopped. And pilot whales are driven inland by children and adults banging on the side of their boats to create a wall of sound that the pilot whales would swim away from. Once they are in the shallows, lines of Faroese people will wade into the water with lines of rope um, each. Uh, the one at the front, holding the end of the rope, has a large meat hook essentially attached to it. The meat hook is placed into the pilot whale's blowhole, and then a tug of war takes place between the whale and the Faroese to bring the whale inland. Once they are virtually on the shore, the whales are almost beheaded. Young boys are part of the pulling-in process, and children are playing on the blood-stained shores. Uh, the Sea Shepherds were unsuccessful in preventing the Grind on this occasion and were apprehended by the Navy and arrested. Close to tears, a member of the Sea Shepherds commented that um, it was a real eye-opener that the world is backwards when the ones trying to save, save lives are arrested and those who are ending lives are free to kill again. I don't know what you're thinking on. Uh, See, so yeah, I... So they're arrested because they're interfering with something that isn't illegal for them. They're trespassing and interfering. Mm. Uh, except that it's frustrating for her, and I do think the world is messed up, but I personally don't see a problem with what they were doing. Okay. So after the whales were pulled on shore, the community gather and divide what they have caught. There's no commercial use of the Grind, and no one um, who takes part in the Grind is a whaler by trade. The whales are transported into a warehouse where they are gutted and cleaned, teeth samples are taken for scientific studies, and the meat is rationed out among the families. Um, the Sea Shepherds later on were charged with dis disturbing the Grind, and spent the night in prison. They were only six strong at this time, and described what they saw in the Faroese people as utter bloodlust. Contrary to the actions of the Grind, the people of the Faro um, Faroe Islands are described as being some of the most hospitable people. That, um, that not only applies to the general um, populace, but also some of the people that take place in the Grind itself. See, that's what I liked at the end. They spent this whole thing saying how horrible these people were for killing these animals. Yeah. But at the end, the head of that group even mm. says, yes, I don't agree with what they're doing, but after spending time with them, they are nice people. They're not bloodthirsty maniacs who kill each other on the streets they just live their lives just this one occasion they go out and kill animals yeah so i'm now going to put my point across and you can shoot it down yeah so contrary to some of sea shepherd's beliefs and i think there was a <clears throat> there was an asian gentleman during that um documentary who said that he would die for a dolphin he would die for a whale he'd die for a turtle and he'd also die for a tuna 
Now, I don't believe that killing of any animal is necessarily right, but for the purpose of sustainability of people and their lives, I can see it as being the natural pecking order of things, if you like. Yeah. Especially when it's done in a way that's not commercial. It's done for the purpose of sustainability of a community that you know and you're familiar with. It's not killing and then it's going off all around the world. And it's also not killing for a profit. Um, at least as far as I'm aware. So my line in the sand has always been that I believe that it's more acceptable to kill a shoal of tuna than it is to kill a shoal of pilot whales, dolphins, orca, whatever. The reason for that is because most fish and not aquatic mammals have as much as a flight and fright response. Their brains are very limited. They have a basic survival instinct that is mate, eat, and whatever else they do. If one of their members of their shoal dies, they won't mourn them. They won't, they won't, as soon as danger comes along, they all disperse. They're not going to hang around for any of their other fallen brothers and sisters. They're gone. On the other hand, whales, that's not the case. So there was a, and I'll cover this again, hopefully um, Dr. Manor and I are going to cover um, Blackfish, the last part of our series so far. Um, and as part of the orca message that I'm going to be trying to put across, there was an account of a orca mother um, carrying her calf that had died 17 days previously. And she was just like nudging it along. Why would something that is just an animal and a mindless beast care? It's not eating it. It's not, there's no other nefarious purpose. It's literally a motherly instinct that doesn't exist with tuna. It doesn't exist it even doesn't exist with things like cows and sheep. It's so powerful. The bond is so intense. And that's where my problem is. If I may do a contrast to that point. Yeah. You're then basically saying the level of intellect you have is directly linked to that much value your life has. So something that has more intellect it's not, has more life value. It's not just intellect. It's sentience. So a tuna that's, if it's possible, I don't know if it is because they're pretty large fish, but a tuna or even a small aquatic creature, like say in your average aquarium. Um, so let's throw out a name there, yellow tang that's a um, sea salt, um, that's a sea salt fish. That that's bred in captivity or even caught in the ocean at a young age and then brought in captivity, probably then won't have an understanding that there's anything other than what it's experiencing. So again, you're just saying... Ignorance, not knowing what's out there, means it's okay to. I kind of am, and I don't know if that's terrible of me. But take, take a child from birth, lock it in a room till it grows old. But I then, if you're talking about a human child, I reckon that they would yearn for something more because it's within the mentality of a human child. I mean, I completely agree with you. I think sentience and development of life is something that's important. But I was just giving you the counterpoint. Yeah, Yeah. and I imagine that's something that I'll probably meet as resistance when I take this a bit further. But also with the Grind itself, um, there were points that were made during the documentary, at least as far as I remember, that this is, in fact, a humane harvest. Mm. There's nothing humane about scaring whales half to death um, with a wall of sound, which is something that um, Grandma and I covered with the Cove documentary, a very similar approach where they scared dolphins into the Cove. Um, very similar method. Um, because they use um, sonar and echolocation, so they they would just experience this as like a, a visual wall 
that they would naturally want to get away from. Um, so you've got that, but then you've also got the hooks that they then hook into the blowholes. That's a that's a, basically a mouth to them. It's it's a very um, complex muscle that they've got in there that probably caused them a lot of pain. They're then dragged along the bottom of the bay, whether that be stone or sand. That's still good. They're going to put up a fight and probably. 50-50 gain damage from what people are doing to them but also gain damage by themselves trying to get away and then virtually decapitated before they even get on land a crocodile will grab a gazelle by the face and drown it a python will constrict something and choke it to death a komodo dragon will bite something and let its poison and bacteria seep into the cup till it dies slowly and painfully over a few days it's just a hunting technique in my mind Okay, even with people. Even with people. So in my mind, if you ha- if you take an animal's life, but and you do it in a way that requires skill and knowledge, and you're doing it for the purpose of feeding yourself and your family, I think that's justifiable. Okay. If you're doing it commercially and things like just like the fishing without sea do, where they're just dumping it in and drag it up and putting thousands of things at once and selling it on, I I don't agree with that. But I think if you're hunting for yourself for skill. In any form, fishing, actual hunting, mm. I, I'm all for it. I don't think our problem is that we're hunting. I think our problem is we're an overpopulated com- um, species. Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a point that I agree with, because whaling and any hunting that will take place, it will cause a dent in the species the more people that get acted, that get... Um, that get added to that populace. And that's not just with people, that's also with other species as well. The more whales in the ocean, the less of fish there are going to be. And I go, no, no, less, the more crocodiles are going to be, less gazelles. But the point that you made about animals is, I don't know if I 100% agree with that because so often humanity um, overjoys itself by claiming that we are more than animals and we are higher up and we are more sophisticated. Should we then take justification for this just by saying, oh, we're just another animal, we're just part of the pecking order of life? I don't Just because we have the intelligence to talk and see life doesn't mean we are not. Okay, well, it's good that you, it's good that you still recognise yourself and, as part you of know. a species that is at its core just a slightly more sophisticated animal. Yeah. But many people don't. Many I people know, praise themselves in thinking that they are higher up. But deep down, we, we are all really the same. We hunger, we feed, we breathe, it's... Mm. We're all the same, yeah. Really, yeah. We're just slightly more yeah. intelligent, or we we say that we're slightly more intelligent. But from the documentaries that I've looked into, and it was in that audio as well, that so many different tests have been done to prove that dolphins and whales can actually be more intelligent than us, and that their capacity for emotion is far more complex than anything we'd ever have. I mean, what makes us intelligent? Spending sixty years of our life working jobs and earning money. And yeah, exactly. If if whales and dolphins could learn that i i bet they'd find that really bizarre but no in my mind it's, it's the main problem is we've become such a vast population people are now taking those drastic fishing and the hunting techniques so they can just get as much as possible mm. if there was no need for the mass production it would just be casual hunting which wouldn't impact really i mean probably people some people still see it as a bit graphic mm. but that's just the way populations come people see graphic stuff because there was a point towards the end of the documentary where one of the ferries chaps that was um, being interviewed as part of that 
part of those um short clips, he caught a seagull in a net. I was gonna bring that up. And then just kind of snapped its neck. He's just mid. casually chatting as Yeah, it's like, oh there's a girl, whoop and clunk. <clears throat> but the thing that made me very anti against the movement was just the way they were describing the people. Yeah. I mean I can ex- fully accept you don't agree with the movement and you want to stop it. Hmm. But you can't call them Nazis or no, because like lasting barbarians. No, it's 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 something that I'm a hundred percent with you on because at the end of the day, and it was something I came away from that documentary, and I'm not ashamed to say for a moment I thought, shit, is what I'm doing even what I believe? Mm-hmm. Because it was such a cleverly put together documentary that that explored both sides, mm. because there was an equal argument to be had on both sides. Um, whether or not the I know that you're swaying towards the Faroese people. Well, that's fair I, enough. I completely support them. There are other movements like stopping the Japanese and because mm, like a lot of those are illegal yeah. whaling movements. They do it under the cover of the open ocean. Yeah, but I think they're pooling their resources to stop something like that. Was it? And the way they went in as well. If they maybe if they'd gone in less action and and more, will go into the town speak with people. Because that's why they were so in the debate they had. They were so anti because they'd already done all of this stuff. They'd already got physically. the research, but the research was very one sided. Like you say, they only had the images that they had collected of the Grind itself. They'd yeah. never met the people. They'd never experienced the culture. They'd never understood where they were coming from. As far as they were aware, all that meat could have been shipped off to God knows where. Exactly. Um, so. And this brings me towards the end of the show and also my point around an activist movement as a as a whole. And it's something that I've got to be quite careful of because it's something that I'm starting myself and we'll go into a little bit of details as well. I don't really get the activists that we have these days who will lie in front of buses, delay trains and generally piss people off. Because if you do that, as much as your message may be true and honest and come from a really good place, you you are pissing off commuters and you're causing resentment towards your cause and that will spread and ultimately you're going to cause a negative view on what you're doing and no one will want to support you. Yeah. In my mind, there's three types of activists. Mm -hmm. Activists who are genuine people who want to get involved and do stuff mm-hmm. are true um, people who are in it for financial gain and the most annoying is the millennials who go to feel like make themselves feel better by getting involved but don't want to do something that's going to be too hard mm. and that's what I felt like for a lot of those people who were at the Grind were mm. they were there because it was an easy thing they could do and they could tell people oh I've been part of a movement I've done this I've done that mm. and actually they weren't really putting themselves in any real danger Mm. it's true because I was um, not to say that I believe that these people were kind of half-assing it but it's true in terms of comparison of what the Sea Shepherds have done in the past because I very full um, disclosure I haven't looked into it that much but from what I've seen from their other work with the fleet that they've got out in the middle of the ocean combating the Japanese they are constantly putting the, the lives of themselves and their crew at risk for the sake of saving maybe one whale yeah and their their ships have been sunk before they've been attacked um i think they've been boarded um arrested and of, obviously um restricted from certain areas of the world due to their movement so there is a massive movement going on at the moment and you're very much right by saying that this was a splinter group yeah made up of volunteers who um perhaps didn't feel like they were able to do the larger thing. I still have a great amount of admiration for the fact that they did go out and do something, 
But like you say, perhaps their approach was very one-sided. Yeah. Um. So it's something that... And going on to what I'm doing, and it's something that at the end of the last podcast, or second to last when we talked about the Cove, I only talked about perhaps doing some images and distributing it. Since then, the idea is really blown outwards, and we've got a lot more going on. So my idea for my kind of awareness campaign is non-profit. We're not taking any donations whatsoever. Um, so it is purely a visual and sometimes audio um, awareness campaign that's called Save Them. And it will mainly be comprised of hand-drawn images that are um, direct, re- direct kind of, not copies, but direct imprints of what's going on around the world. So things like the Cove and Blackfish. And some images of the Grind as well, just to draw awareness that this is happening. And all that I want from this is for it to be shared out. The images to go out because it's not going to get in the way of people's commutes. It's not going to piss people off. I'm not going to be spamming inboxes. All I'm going to be doing is putting it on Twitter and Instagram. Twitter's a great platform because you get a retweet function, so it's easy to get it out there. And that's all I'm asking for. At college, I'm doing something a bit more um, proactive. I'm getting together hopefully with a group of students some of them are vegan some of them are activists and they want to um, put together a plastic awareness message that they're going to link in with my message of the mystery of aquatic mammals and also the plastic pollution in the ocean as well where we're hopefully going to go to the point of even having a1 posters big posters blown up on digital screens and sounds of distress whale calls like you heard in the opening portion of the show so that's what I'm planning to do. And I think that's, I think that's enough. Um, but something that I wanted to say towards the end of the episode, and I was really debating today whether or not I should say it. So activists go out there with a real idea that they can make all of this go away. If you were to ask me whether or not I think that we can stop whaling 100% commercially and also um, for like things like the Grind and um, the general mistreat of aquatic mammals and rubbish in our ocean and sea life centres, I would say no. I generally don't believe that we will ever be able to put an end to that because the problem is that it's become such a norm for people now. As soon as something becomes a norm, you start attacking that, they're going to get frustrated and try and defend it. Um, so I generally don't, I, I, but that's not going to stop me. I'm still going to do my part. I'm still going to do what's important to me. Um, I don't believe that it will change everything, but I still believe that it will make an impact because the, most of the people that I've talked to had no idea that this kind of stuff was still going on. They probably thought it was something long in the past around Victorian times when uh, oceaneers would go out and slaughter whales and bring them home for their Victorian families. Um, but the last point that I wanted to make, and it was something that I think I raised in the cove, was the um, sea life centres. So it's something that we'll cover in the last episode as well with Dr. Manor because it'll be the main focus of it. Have you ever been to a sea life centre? Yeah, of course. Where was it the sea life centre in London? Uh, I've done a London one. I've done a couple of them. Okay, so where, where did any of them have whales or dolphins? No, I've oh. never been to one that large. Oh, okay, so I have a friend who um, I went to visit a few weekends ago and she went with her parents to Italy I believe it was Italy, and went to one of the largest aquariums there. And there they have beluga whales, which for those who don't know what beluga whales look like, very similar to pirate whales, except very much an albino kind of colour. And <clears throat> she, after I told her this, and it wasn't like 
she brought up the fact that she went to an aquarium and was like, great, I'm going to fucking slate her. I'm going to make her feel <laughs> shit. It just so happened that I was talking about my research at the time and she mentioned that she'd been to an aquarium. And because of what I said, she said, oh, but the beluga whale, they look so happy. It's such a common misconception. I really, now that I know so much about it, it seems bizarre to think anything other than the facts that a beluga whale, a dolphin, an orca, a pilot whale, they can't change the shape of their mouths they can't change the way that they look. It's us that's gained this association of the curved lip as a smile. Yeah. In um, apes, smiling is actually threat. Yeah. So it's stupid to think that smiling is a good thing. Mm. So I think it's important to bring this up because unfortunately when I was doing the audio, I must have been so tired. I left one portion out that I really wish I didn't. So Rick O'Berry was the voice that you heard at the beginning when he's talking about the Taiji Whale Museum and the fact that the fishermen would kill him if they had the opportunity. He was the trainer of the five dolphins that were used in the three season 88 episode um, series Flipper. And one day, one of the dolphins, the female dolphins called Kathy, she swam into Rick's arms. She looked at him, took her breath and then didn't take another one. And he let her go and she just sank to the bottom of the tank because unlike other mammals and other creatures, every breath that a whale and a dolphin takes is 100% a conscious decision because you've got like the little muscle in the, um, in the front of the blowhole. So if a whale or dolphin gets too depressed, they will kill themselves. Kill themselves. Because they are aware, and it's the point that I brought up earlier, that they are aware that there is so much more that they could be experiencing, the life with their pod, the open ocean, and that they uh, don't have it. But yeah, so before before I start to go back on myself and repeating the same thing, we should end this episode here. But I've got to say thank you so much for being on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure to have some back and forth between... I feel like we do meet on more views than I think we probably thought previously. Maybe? Yeah. <laughs> but I I still think it was nice to have someone who who had some different views. Yeah. And it's different when we're looking into a murderer because for the most part, we're like, we all hate this person or we all think this person did something terrible. Well, well you say that. <laughs> I've seen a glimmer in your eye. Okay. But um, <clears throat> yeah, so it's been great having you on the show. And man, it's been a really difficult show to put together. It's been one that's had probably one of the most biggest amount of research. But um, we're going to round it off with the um, the Blackfish documentary and also the... Uh, sea Shepherd doc, um, episode, but we're going to leave that way in the future so I can do some more research, look them up a bit more. So thank you very much, Doug, for joining us for this episode. It's been exactly. brilliant. And whether it's day or night, evening, whatever you're doing, we hope you have a very good life and death. And we will see you guys the following episode where we hope it will be a better show and hopefully a slightly more upbeat one. Toodle pip.